We think we've got the best criminal justice system in the world. We are the only country in Europe that sends children to prison for life. Welcome to Surviving Society. With Chantel Lewis and Tiso Regis. Executively produced by Georgia Fori Addo. If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon. If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. This is a trigger warning. This episode, at times, contains conversations and sensitive material that people may find difficult to listen to. Welcome to another episode of Surviving Society. We are really excited today to be joined by Gloria Morrison and Lisa, who are campaigners and activists for Jengba. Jengba campaign on behalf of and with those wrongfully convicted. They campaign for reform of the legal abuse by joint enterprise. First and foremost, tell the listeners, please, what joint enterprise is. Uh, one, thank you for having us on. Um, I'm Gloria Morrison. I'm the campaign coordinator for Jengba, which stands for Joint Enterprise Not Guilty by Association. So joint enterprise is a legal doctrine. It's not actually law. It's a doctrine that's applicable to law. And in our campaign, we're mainly campaigning for people who've been convicted of murder who haven't committed the murder. So if you've got a multi-handed trial, that means you've got more than one defendant. So it can be two or upwards. And someone in that group commits a murder. The police can charge anybody else that's associated to that person who we call the principal, the actual person who's committed the crime, and charge them along with the principal for murder. Now, this doesn't need to be a weapon. It can be a spontaneous fight in a park with kids that somebody um, delivers a blow or or uses knives or uses guns. Um, you know, so they're the sort of high profile cases that most people might have heard about. But what they're not hearing about are these very different cases where people that are on the periphery can be linked to the principal by a phone call, by uh, a gang association is often the main narrative they try to use by uh, the fact that they might have gone to school together, by any kind of, um, by postcode M's, you know, that you live near or you you knew him because you were in a video. Now, that's one of the most scary pieces of evidence that they produce in court is that young people who've uh, been um, part of a rap video or, God forbid, if you like, um, grime, then then that is association. It's a guilt by association. It's a, it's a sign of criminality, which we know with grime music has been used and argued for some time now. But like in, uh, I'm sure Lisa will tell you in her son's case, video footage was used because the police were engaging with these young people to try and keep them out of trouble. And then when they use the video, then they say, you knew because you, you're associated via that rap video. Um, the mobile phone evidence is very, very scary because um, young people use their phones a lot and they phone each other a lot, but that doesn't mean that they know one of their group is going to go on and commit a murder. Basically, joint enterprise is when a group of people go on to commit a crime and say someone goes a bit beyond what the others thought was going to happen, they can all be charged. So, Gloria, do they get charged for the, as an associate, do you get charged for the murder as the same as the, same as the principal, exactly the same like time in prison etc etc what yes so you get the same as the person that did it the the, the charging decisions are very very difficult to get from the police the police have to produce charging decisions that they can give to the cps that say this is why we can charge this person with murder because we have this evidence and the evidence evidence or bastard is something like 52 percent to take it to court 
but they don't in joint enterprise you don't need that you just can say we're charging you all with murder the biggest murder trial in british history was the Sophia Belladune's murder in Victoria Station. They charged 21 young people, predominantly black young people, for that murder. Now, they, no one knew that it was the biggest crime uh, murder trial in British history because they split the trial up. They got them all because they'll put on the indictment, you'll have murder... Section 18, Section 20, manslaughter. You know, so it's a smorgasbord of charging. So you, you give that to a jury and say, well, we want to leave this, you know, we want to leave manslaughter on, we want to leave... Juries are going to think, well, they've got to have done something. CPS won't, won't be doing all this charging if they don't, you know... And it's much, much easier to get a, um, a charge for a group... For a joint enterprise murder, especially if you're five black kids that have come from, you know, Eltham, you, know, you, you just need to say, well, they're all in it together, even though only one person wielded the knife. I mean, there's, we've got a case which is in um, a magazine that's just about to come out. Um, the Justice Get publishes it. And uh, one of our campaigners, activist Fran Robertson, she went to the Old Bailey to watch this trial because they'd already got three boys for a murder. In cars, one boy gets out of a car... And he's gone on a bus stop and stabbed someone. He gets acquitted because he has got no phone. He's left his phone at home. But the boy that was driving the car, he didn't know he was going to get out of the car, he gets murder. And the boy that's in the car behind, he also gets murder. So you get the person who's actually done the crimes acquitted, but you get two people that haven't done the crime, haven't left the car, but they're driving cars. They both get murder. So she went along to see there were two 17-year-olds in the car behind. So, and they charged them with murder as well. So Fran went to go and watch this particular trial to see what was happening. No evidence against them. All you're going to say, well, you must have known he was going to, you know, you're in, you must have known he was going to get out and use a knife. Well, why would they? They're 17-year-old kids who might be selling some weed. In fact, in court, they did accept that they were minus drug dealers, but they didn't know what this guy was going to do. They both got manslaughter. They're 17 years old. You know, so it is such an easy way. It's such a, a dragnet way of getting multiple convictions. And we must understand in our criminal justice system, we have an adversarial system. We are not going to court. You're not getting these QCs and these prosecutors going to court to be nice, to say, actually, you know, well, that kid didn't do anything. They are going to win and they will win at all costs. They will come out with um, the language, it's, it, they moved it like a tank in a pincer movement. You would have heard that in court, Lisa, wouldn't you? That the, you know, how boys move, how they're dressed, everything, all those kind of associations that are going to whip up the imagination that, oh, well, they're up to something, they're up to no good. And you put on top of that, that the fact that Jengba are supporting over 1,000, we haven't got the exact figures, we're getting them, about 1,300 prisoners currently and I would say 80% of them are from black and ethnic minorities. It's just absolutely devastating. My son's best friend was convicted of a murder that he didn't commit, and he's a black kid, and there were five of them in the dock. Um, five of them were charged with murder of one boy. I'd never heard of joint enterprise back then, and there was nothing about joint enterprise back then. So what year is this? It, we're talking 2007. All I knew was my son phoned me up and said, he's got murder. And I was like, how? What? Because I knew he was the first person attacked. The aggressors, people came to them. He was the first 
knocked over the head with a, a belt. So he was on the floor semi-conscious when one of his friends has run out of the house and used a knife and there's a fatality. So, But he didn't carry the knife. He didn't know that he had a knife. But He's he, unconscious as Yeah, well. semi-conscious. He did see someone. He did see. But anyway, he got murdered. And then I tried to... Well, one, instinctively, I knew it was racist. But our research was quite difficult because there was nothing out there. There was nothing on the internet about joint enterprise. There was a joint specialist in Australia. I say that all the time. That's all I could find. But I then met Janet Cunliffe, whose son uh, in Warrington, Jordan Cunliffe, got convicted of a murder of Gary Newlove. This situation was Gary Newlove came out of his house and attacked the children, not the other way around. He was, he'd been drinking and in the ensuing attack, he got kicked once in his neck. Not by Jordan, because Jordan's blind. So Jordan didn't even see Gary Newlove. So you've got a 15-year-old kid, blind kid, who's been convicted of murder that he didn't even see. So right, when just, I'm... Just to, just to be clear for the listeners, so this was a guy that came out of his house and attacked young... Children. Young, young he didn't children. remonstrate with them. He thought that they damaged his neighbour's mini digger, not even yeah. his mini digger. So he's come out, he didn't remonstrate and say, oi, kids, come on, who's done that? Because it wasn't this group of kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're in a rural part of England. We're not in West London. We're in rural... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he didn't cut. He came out and said, "Come on, you fuckers! I'm going to fucking have you!" Yeah. And started fighting them. And in the ensuing fight, he's fell. He's got kicked once, yeah. one blow to the neck. That's what killed him, right? And one of the boys that was convicted of his murder was blind. Was blind. But in context of that sort of case, Gary Newlove didn't die on the on the on. It was it was a Saturday night. He died on the on the either the Sunday or the Monday. The sun. And the News of the World picked this story up about the Tuesday and started talking about feral Britain and broken Britain and used this case to prove that our children are all, you know, vigilantes, not all vigilantes, they just kids. Yeah, right. absolutely. So they use this case. And they also call for the death penalty to be returned. The Sun had a petition. If you go to the British Library and you can look at it, it's from 2007 onwards, the Sun were running a petition, bring back the death penalty. You want this, right? So the last person hung in this country was Derek Bentley, and he was a joint enterprise case because Derek Bentley was with Christopher Craig. Derek Bentley had learning difficulties. He didn't uh, shoot the police officer that was shot. Christopher Craig did, but he was 16. So Derek Bentley was convicted under joint enterprise because he was heard to be saying, let him have it, which was let him have the gun, not let him have it. But he was hung. You bringing that forward to now where you use evidence that's phone calls or cell site or you know that how it's just it's it's gone beyond the realms of real evidence but when i was trying to find out more about joint enterprise a research dueling because it's also known as common purpose what you would have in a duel is you would get seconds who would meet the night before decide on weapons decide where they were going to meet often they would bring spectators or a doctor so that you'd have a common purpose that everybody on that at that duel would know that someone's going to be seriously harmed or injured now the upper classes obviously didn't like this because it was their sons that were killing each other so they decided to outlaw duelling so they brought in common purpose so anyone who got together on a duel that means you could all be go away for the murder of the person who dies so duelling stopped we don't have duels anymore bring it forward to the 21st century and they're still using that kind of association or you knew what was going to happen that's the sort of the history that from then, in our evidence, it was really started to be used again, sort of 2003, 2004, 2006. And we're talking about the Blair government. And we're talking about Charlie Faulkner and Jack Straw. We're talking about those kind of 
MPs that want to do this rhetoric always have to be tough on crime. That's always what they want, you know. So that's a potted history. Some of your listeners might think I'm talking rubbish, but no, I mean, they won't it? at all. They're no. going to be. They're gonna, I promise you, our listeners are going to be sat like like gobsmacked because I think, like I was saying to you before in the pre-chat, like we have an understanding, a basic understanding of what joint enterprise is, but having campaigners and activists like yourselves is so important because understanding the detail of the fuckery, yeah, it makes it. Yeah. It's astounding, but also we people need to know about what is happening in this country when yeah. it comes to our criminal justice system and how young people are treated. Yeah. But I think, like I said, there's a there's a class distinction here as well. Yeah. Like if you're from a, a working class area, you have an understanding. You won't know the legal terms, but you have an understanding. That if I'm moving with certain people, I could be shifted and that thing's going to stick. So as a kid, you understand that. As a young kid growing up in the flats, you understand there's something. You don't know what it is. But you understand that. But also because we have things like, I mean, stop and search and sus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sus was stopped by a grandmother. Do you know that? Maybe it's best. I mm. mean, she was so annoyed that her grandson kept getting stopped by the police that she t- went down there. And then she said, no, this is wrong. You can't keep stopping kids on suspicion. All joint enterprises and all stop and searches is another sort of battering down of the working classes and, and the com- you know c- mm. certain communities. It's exactly what it is. And, and it's deliberate. It's not... It's not a construct that's out there. We think we've got the best criminal justice system in the world. We are the only country in Europe that sent children to prison for life. The youngest people, we are a boy and a girl, were both 13 years old when they were given life sentences for murders that neither of them committed. And that is one, you know, that is one thing that nobody can argue with us because we've got the dats, we've got the proof, we've got, you know. And why would you want to send a 13-year-old child to prison for life? What do you expect to get at the other end of that? What do you, what sort of kind of individual do you expect to get? And also, I don't think people realise that when they send you to prison for life, although you may get an 18-year tariff, you come out, you're on a 99-year licence, so you've only got to have one little altercation with someone in a shop, with your wife or whatever, and you'll record and do another two years to that situation to uh, so, sorted out. I think people have a kind of abstract notion of what law is. They think it's just and it applies to everyone, but as we understand, especially in joint enterprise, the law is racialized. Mm-hmm. It's class, class bias, yeah. and so when you see when people see that in reality, when you see that, you're thinking, well, what I was what I was taught to believe in, in school. It's not true. Yeah. It's not borne out by my experience. When my son was in, he was in Belmarsh, and because mm. I'd just got into this because of this situation, and and Gloria was saying like it's a racist, it's like ethnic minorities, blah blah. blah. And I said to him, "Do you think that it's uh, racist, Tom?" And he went, "Have a look around us." And it was the the, the visiting hall was full of black yeah. kids. I've yeah. never been to Felton, but I've been told Felton's all black. It's mm-hmm. all black. And one of the things, like when we've gone back and we've tried to be politicised about this and go back, one of the pieces of data that came out that was the most telling piece of data that you could hear the pin drop in the, in the Justice Select Committee was that Ben Crew, Susie Hussey and Serena Wright, three academics, did a, a study on mandatory sentencing because people don't realise that either, that it was Blair's government that brought in... Um, mandatory sentencing so before that the judges had they had discretion and they could say all right well I could see you were with this group but you didn't actually commit the crime and I can I'll give you three years of rap on the knuckles they can't if you're convicted of murder under joint enterprise you then have to get exactly not always exactly the same as the principal because the principal's honor amongst thieves will often say yes it was me governor I did Mm -hmm. it I put my hand up he'll get a lesser sentence than the guy that's saying I didn't do it the guy that pleads not guilty 
So the say the principal, you know, gets an 18, you've got other guys that are doing 25s because it's a knife crime. But they don't realise that that's mandatory. The judges have no discretion to do that. And that's another thing that we've got, why we have so many people in our prison system that are lifers. I think we've got one of the biggest lifer populations in the country, in the world. And the the other worrying factor is, is that I was in this for nine years now and I've only just got it in the last three years. So how are you going to expect jury members to sit there and really know understand detail and I was in went to see my son in prison and I was talking to one of the prison officers while I was waiting and he said I was talking about joint enterprise and he said well he must have done something I said he never killed anybody he went but they wouldn't put you away for for nothing (laughs) and and also my husband when my son got put in uh remanded for the murder um the police he was speeding so they've stopped him um and they went oh you're uh, tom's dad didn't you he said yeah he said oh yeah i'm really sorry about him getting 18 years so he said but don't worry he'll be out in nine he said what are you talking about so even a police officer thought that you only did half of your sentence you don't you have to do the and then it isn't that you're going to get out in those 18 years if you if you if they don't like you and you go to probation you just look at jordan cunliffe and also, I mean, when we first started, I mean, obviously Lisa came later because of what happened to her son, but when we first started, the average sentence we were seeing was sort of like 15, 16. And now if I get people coming to me and saying, you know, he's got a, he's got an 18, I say, Do you know what? I know you're not going to get this, but that's not bad. It's yeah, not exactly. bad because the average sentences are about 25, 26. If it's a gun, we've got a guy doing 40 um, they want to bring back whole life sentences. That's what the cr- police and crime bill is all about. They want to bring them, you know, and they, that means you, they will get people doing whole life sentences for something they actually haven't done. done. Can I just roll back just for one second, just to remind the listeners exactly what we're saying here? So, joint enterprise. They have not. They are not the principal instigator of the murder. And because and because of that, though they're not the joint instigator, they just have they're just seen to be associated or seen to be around or seem to have a knowing of what was happening. And if they're found guilty of joint enterprise, they get a mandatory sentence, and that mandatory sentence means they can't do any less time. They have to do if it's a murder. If it's a murder. If it's a manslaughter, they do half or conspiracy to cause great section eighteen. But if it's a murder, they do the the, the full whack. It's one of the worst things I think I've ever heard in my life. Like, that is absolutely appalling. So my research topic is, like, I do into UK drill. So that that kind of youth movement, right? So Drill music. Drill music. That's so what you, I meant when I said yeah. grime. What's the difference no, between grime and grill? It's an evolved. I don't know. I'm, I'm a dinosaur, by the way, if anyone wants no, like, this. You were right, but you said about grime, but yeah. now we're seeing no, more policing of drill, drill as well. Yeah, no, I drill think tends to be a bit, more, a bit more violent graphically when they're talking about it, and it's a, a different kind of beat different tempo and yeah it's definitely a different kind of a different kind of rap the way they talk about stuff well i was invited this is relevant i was invited to a, an exhibition um um by drillminster and yeah, yeah. I, yeah right yeah. and it was at sachi gallery and i was yeah. invited to go along and i said to, and i said to my son who's i think he was 20 at the time i go Ross, is, is drill music uh, violent? He went, oh, yeah. And I said, is it homophobic? He went, oh, yeah, probably. And I went, okay. And then I listened to Drillminster's 
Parliament, the Parliament, and yeah. you know, I won't stab you in the back, I'll stab you in the front. Mm. That's Jess Phillips. I mean, he yeah, just yeah. used quotes yeah. from yeah, And so I thought, was... actually, do you know what? This is really interesting. Yeah. So I went, and they all had the masks on. They looked scary. What lovely young men. Mm. I mean, just amazing, polite, wonderful young men who were all new people in prison under joint enterprise. But, but, but this, is, this is what I'm going to say. So, like anything, drill is an art form, right? So it's open to embellishment. So you're going to have kids, especially in the world. So the places where drill originates is probably the streets studios and on social media right and it's the interaction between those three sites you dropping those phd lyrics <laughs> you get me you get me sometimes you get me but um so so these kids are sometimes some of them might be actually into crime and they actually might make a song that might make it into social media but most of them are performing their art because they just want to be that's what kids do we all had a scene right so whether it's punk for me it was jungle and but just now, but these kids are making their art and put it on social media. And sometimes, sometimes there might be fallout, but because they live in a social mediatized world, the image gets played out across the world and it and it and people believe narratives. So young black kid gets stabbed, must be all of them in the video. And if that joint enterprise still sits on that record, it's scary because in the world of social media, how many kids film they film everything? Literally everything. So well, Where does Lisa can, now? Yeah, Lisa can talk about that with um, what happened. If you're happy to, or do you want me well, to? Well, look, Gloria and Lisa, could you talk about how you guys met? By <sighs> mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I was running um, a group called London Against Injustice because I was trying to find justice for Ken and um, for, for, this is he's my son's, son's best friend. Son's yeah. Best friend, so yeah. Um, and uh, that then. Um, there more and more cases were coming that were joint enterprise and did you come to London against Justice or did no. you come to Jengba when we Jengba, formed as Jengba? Yeah. So we formed as Jengba in two thousand and ten and we started having Jengba meetings and then that grew and grew and it's it's a national campaign now and um uh, we before COVID, before lockdown we would have London monthly meetings and those those they're a very important support network for families because once you lo lose someone to the prison system it's a, it's a bereavement. It really it's and and the only way we kind of have kept ourselves sane. I mean, we do we are very similar women. All of us. We're all kind of slightly mad and and, and and but we all, but we also say you know like I mean Lisa about this. If Tommy if they'd done a murder and we loved them and we would support them or try to help them come to terms with that what they'd done. But you, mothers are not going to go, oh, that's okay then. They haven't done that. Because you get people coming. I remember really vividly the first time Lisa came to a meeting that she was like bits, just couldn't hardly talk. She was with her sister who was crying more than she was because she was trying to... It's like trying to get an understanding. And, and, and that's we don't get a lot of pre-trial cases. And that's really frustrating because what we get is women afterwards. And it is there are men, there are dads, but it's predominantly women that just can't get it, that just are broken by it, just can't understand it. And especially so in certain certain communities, like in North London, the Somali community is really targeted. Um, and, and other communities that just don't know how to engage with the, the, the justice system because they think... They think it's all right. Do you know, they think it's that, that you're not going to go to prison like Lisa said. You can't go to prison for murder without evidence. Well, if you've got p police and prison officers going well you know when one of the last times when Ken was in prison he he um I was on a visit they said um so you've never had an adjudication so in prison you can get a nick in again so it's mm -hmm. called an adjudication you've never had an adjudication he said no he said and you've never had uh, 
So the whole time he's done his 15 years in prison, he's never been nicked once, he's never had a warning, he's, he's a model prisoner, and we got a lot of them. And this prison officer couldn't understand it. He said, but you're in for murder. And he went, yeah, it's called joint enterprise. And that's when you got, that's why one of our things is really to educate yeah. those people that are working within the system, that you've got people here that aren't that shouldn't be here or you know and I I did go and see Lisa and I went to see the um, governor for Belmarsh we got a visit with her she's a one of the only female black governors Jenny yeah, I can't know her surname but yeah, Jenny yeah but she's they're, they're in the wars Belmarsh at the moment there's a lot of trouble going on there from what I'm hearing but um and we we quite liked her. I mean Lisa's got a much better radar I think everyone's nice she's good she can sort of <laughs> suss people out but she she was you know she said I've got to wear two hats I'm a governor because the reason why she she was doing a Black Lives Matter um talk and one of our mums was there and she said well, the reason why she went into the prison system is because she was pregnant as a young prison officer and she overheard one of her colleagues saying, oh, look, bringing in another I apologise profoundly. <laughs> and that got her and she thought, no. So she worked her way up to the top so she'd become a deputy governor. And so she said, look, I've got two roles here. But I'd, she doesn't believe in joint enterprise. She said that's one of the reasons the prison system is not working because you've got young kids coming into the prison system with tariffs longer than they've been on the live. They've been on this planet. They're getting 18, 19-year tariffs at 17. And, and she knows that. But how do you manage that? Because you're part of that system. I can't empathise with Jenny. I can maybe give her a bit of sympathy. But equally, like... I just don't know how you square the circle in being involved, official capacity but, but, in this. Do you know what it is, right? I think, see, I think, prison, if, I think yeah. if you're coming from a certain generation, yeah, when, yeah, yeah. when you think you're from a certain generation, you think, if I can get into the system, I can make a change. Yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. see our parents, boom. Like, my dad thought, yeah. And, like, I've come as an immigrant. If I say to my son, he could change it for me. He's from here. Yeah. But as we know, that's it's not the not, result, yeah. right? I think we're up against is the idea, like, not just joint enterprise, but you're also up against the kind of stereotypes that people think... If if you're if you if you're in prison, you've done a bad thing. You must have done a bad <laughs> thing. Or if you're a black guy, you're in a drill video. You must have done crime because you're talking about crime. <laughs> and it's it's trying to get people to understand that these are just just stereotypes. They're not real, right? But but they sorry, they're not real. They are real because people think they're real. <laughs> and that's the problem. That's that's, that's where you come up against all. Because joint enterprise, like you said, it's a concept. But once you put someone in prison, he must be a bad person. <laughs> or you hang around with bad people, and you're guilty by association. And it's that goes back to that kind of old kind of that kernel that your mum would say to you. It's who you hang around with, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Careful who you mix with. Yeah, yeah. So, Lisa, how <laughs> did you find out about Jemba? Um, well, when uh, Tommy got sentenced for life, two thousand thirteen, I thought, no, you can't, it just you can't. How can you give someone a, a prison sentence for eighteen years mandatory when, when the judge? said to him stand up and he stood up because the jury come back and found him guilty of a joint enterprise murder and the, and he, he said stand up even remarkably there is no evidence i can't say you were at the scene you carried a knife there's no dna there's no eyewitnesses and i also don't have a role for you and all i can say is that you were close by and that i'm going to give you life for and so i thought ah it's He's nuts, he's nuts. So mm. then I started Googling joint enterprise and then Jengba come up and um, I rung and uh, this lady, Jan Cannell, if I know now, answered and I said, um, you know, how can they do that? I said, my son said he's fucked. She said, he's not fucked. Why, I've got blood in my veins. 
is not fucked. And I just joined them and went to meetings and nine years I'm sitting next to Gloria. <laughs> <laughs> it's very it's very difficult because, you, you know, one of my things, we, ha we have to manage expectation. And I hate that expression because I don't want to manage anybody's expectation. I want to fight it, just fight it. But... You get families that are so broken and so so desperate to to the magic wand to be waved, and we get the we get the you know the solution everyone wants. I want Tommy out of prison. I want all the boys and girls out of prison. I've been to visit a lot of prisoners, and and they are really wonderful, decent people. And our prison system is shit. It is absolute shit. We're talking about no education, all due lockdown. We've had twenty three and a half hour lockdown. We've had. I shit any buckets in front of people still in this country. We have um, dorms that are cells that are supposed to be for one person that have got three people in them. We've got a terrible prison system. And the government think their solution is to build new prisons. Okay, if you want to build a new prison, knock down one of the shit Victorian ones like Pentonville. Just, you know, don't, don't do, because we're, we're abolitionists. I don't believe prisons. I think there's absolutely other, other things now that you can help. I mean, it's a difficult argument because some people say, yes, you need prisons. Some people are just too evil and they need to go to prison. Okay, work out some kind of... But, but also, we've got to think about one of the things we talk about on this show, Gloria, like, what is it that leads to harm? People aren't innately, like, harmful people. The society structures, race, class, gender, how we live as a society, so much inequality, like... But, but also, I think, I think once you have a prison system, no one's worked out what it's, what it's for. Reform yeah. or punishment, right? So when people go to prison, they say it's not tough enough. So punish them more. But mm -hmm. but the punishment is going to prison, right? Mm -hmm. So no one's actually worked out what that system is for yet. But, I mean, as journalists, you, I, you can't get into prisons. Mm -hmm. In America, you can get into prisons and we see people on death row and we see what goes on in prison. No one ever sees anything about um, what what goes on in prison. And, and, and funny enough, the Panorama did this thing called Lethal Enterprise and, and they've got footage of my boy that when he went to prison he because he was trained to be a youth offending officer before he went in he's still sort of talking about you know anti-knife crime and stuff like that and they they wanted to use that that footage because in the jordan Connolly scenario they were trying to look at that case you know how can you put a blind 15 year old boy who didn't commit a murder in prison for murder the judge put a gagging order on the fact that Jordan was blind. So they couldn't say on air that he was blind. Right, so we're going back to the case. This is the Warrington this is the Warrington case. So Jordan, the blind boy, how old is he? He was fifteen at the time. Fifteen. And he was in the dock with his fourteen year old brother. Who um oh, So Jan had two boys in the dock. They were both um both on remand. So they would be in these children, whatever they're called, that are, cost something like a quarter of a million pounds a year to keep a child in one of these places. I mean, the other thing is, like what you're talking about, prisons are a business. We know that for a fact. Prisons are a business and, you know, we know the companies that are in there that are exploiting prisoners, your DFSs, your Marks and Sparks, your... your, your Krispy Kremes. Uh, Krispy Kremes, Amazon, they're all in there. They're making so... What we're seeing is modern day slavery. So we're not seeing anything that's kind of changed locking up these very young men, black, white, whatever ethnicity, and they're taking away their sexuality. They're taking away any chance that they will have a right to a family life because Kim got out at 35. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's they're taken away, yeah, yeah. is the, the levels of all the things they're taking the away. The cruelty of that. It's, it's the so cruelty cruel. of that. And just to come back to the Jordan case, just one second. So the judge said so the judge who was trying these 
children for the murder said the press are not allowed to know that we're going to put a blind boy in prison for joint enterprise. Yeah. But, but take it forward to, sorry, Jane Robin campaigning and campaigning. So we got to 2016 and we got to the Supreme Court. Oh, yes. Well, I, we're not lawyers, but we, we've learned enough along the way. My lawyer phoned us up, our lawyer, um, Simon Natis, a fantastic human rights lawyer. He phoned up and said, They've certified a question. They've certified a question. I'm like, what does that mean? I could actually, I know exactly where we were. We were in, you were in the pub, and I'm standing oh, outside, were. and you were waving this drink at me, and I'm going because we were going to a meeting at the in the office, and I'm going, what do you mean they certified a question? So, to get something to the Supreme Court, you have to get the Court of Appeal to certify a question of public importance. So the public have to say something like, yes, this is a really important question. And the question was, does joint enterprise overcriminalise secondary parties? And my son's secondary party. party. So we, uh, he, and he was saying, you've got to, we've got to intervene. And I'm like, what's intervene? No, I've got a Catholic background. But anyway, so it's an intervention. You then say, as a part, as an uh, a party of, you know, we're supporting a lot of prisoners who've been convicted under joint enterprise. Can we intervene? You ask permission. And they say yes. So they certified the question. Did Amin Jogi, did, could he uh, or could he or should he? Uh, legal, these are legal words. Could, should, will, would uh, have known what was going on. So the case of Amin Jogi is there's two guys have been going around. They've been drinking drugs most of the day. They've gone to this girl's, uh, this woman's house that Amin knows. Uh, and her partner is an ex-police officer. He's not there, but um, they have just some drinking stuff with her. They leave, and for some reason, um, the boy that Amin's with, um, Hershey, he wants to go back to the house. So he goes back to the house, Paul Five comes running down the stairs, there's a fight. He takes a knife from the kitchen and stabs him. Now, Jogi's outside the house, and he's shouting, come on, come on. Remember, let him have it. Same thing. That's what the prosecution said. He's going, encouraging him because he's going, come on. But he wouldn't have known that the, he was going to take a knife from the kitchen in the house. So he he's not aware of the knife. And then when they leave and they flee together, they both get charged. They both get convicted of murder. And then his uh, QC was Felicity Gary, who kept chipping away and chipping away and saying, this isn't right. Joint enterprise isn't right. So she applied to have the question certified. Could he have known what was going to go on in the house? And... Um, and then the second part of the question was, does it overcriminalise secondary parties, which was Jogi. So in 2016, the Court of Appeal came back and they said, yes, that the law had taken a wrong turn in 1984 where, with a case in Hong Kong and a case in Jamaica with Ruddock and Chang Win Su. So we're not talking about we've got a problem over here. Think about this in colonial terms. We're talking about, oh, look at this. The problem's in Hong Kong and then they made the mistakes. They got the wrong law. Mr. David Cook, I think the QC was. But anyway, so uh, they said, yeah, the law was wrong, that we've been previously relying on foresight. So the idea that someone knew what someone else was going to do, not on what someone's intention is. Now, everyone who thinks you get murder, have all heard of mens rea, you know, the mind to kill, the act to actus rea, the act of killing. So we don't, we've dismissed with that. But now we're saying, no, you've got to, you've got to prove what someone's intention is. Now, since 2016... They also put a clause in that said, regardless of the fact that people have been tried under the wrong law, you can only go back to the Court of Appeal if you can prove substantial injustice. Right, so we've got all these people in prison that have been tried under the wrong law, and we say, what is substantial injustice? Now, we've asked them to certify a question on substantial injustice, well, our lawyers have twice, 
and they won't do it because they'll be marking their own homework. So what Jogi was, it was a victory. It was a, a, a big victory for the campaign because it hopefully has kept other young people out of prison because their lawyers, if they know what they're doing and they, they give a shit about these young people, they will argue about foresight. You can't rely on foresight. If the prosecution's relying on foresight, it's got to go. You show me what his intention was. And if you can't prove that, then so we do believe that's what the lawyers are told. We have, But we haven't got one person out of prison since 2016, bar John Crilly. And that was because um, he took a manslaughter plea. So nobody, because they said well, no one can prove substantial injustice. So I see, and this is, And this is why I think the system's... It's so, it's so hypocritical. At one point, it would say, yeah, the system works. So you've found an error and you've got it changed. But it's ultimately hasn't led to anyone being free, right? So the system never admits it's wrong. It, ne- it will never it will, it will never apologise. Yeah. It will just put another obstacle in the way. It will just say, like, I've changed X, but we will still maintain Y. So it, it maintains the illusion that it's fair and it's just and it's very rational. It's a very Western, but it, for, for people like us, Nothing's really changed, right? No. Mm-hmm. no. So they've said, in terms of winning the case, they've said that yeah, this you can't do this basically. But there's loads of young men mainly that are in prison still, and they've said that actually that's not that's not okay. We can't. So do you know what I mean? So why are they not out of prison? Well, we can't prove substantial injustice. It's so complicated, isn't it? It's like it's, 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 it's so. Compl- I know. It's like. It's so simple because it's so unfair, but the way they like map it is so. My son says it's simple. Yeah. It is so simple, make... but they just make it so difficult that it's like an impossibility. Well, one of the cases after Jogi, this is another thing about gagging orders. After Jogi, the first batch of trials are called R versus Johnson. So it's always the person's name. So the Johnson brothers, they're two brothers that got convicted of a murder that neither of them had convicted. So they're both secondary parties. Mixed race boys. Um, really weird. Uh, it's, it's a really weird case anyway. But R versus Johnson went back. But back to back behind it were all the people that were waiting for appeals and were waiting for to see what the Supreme Court decision was going to be to see if they had strength in appeals. Now, one of those appeals was a, um, a guy called Michael Hall, whose co-defendant was Laura Mitchell. So Michael and Laura are in a car park. They come out of a pub and there's a fracas, uh, an altercation about a cab. They get in a cab. Some guys come running out and go, hey, that's our cab. It's a rural pub. In a, it's been a lock-in because it's the governor's birthday. Laura's four, five foot two. She's really petite and she was training to be a midwife. He was an electrician and had a kid. They, these guys come out, start this fight about a taxi. Uh, Laura's looking for her shoes in the car park. Some of my, Michael's friends, two of Michael's friends, have come, chased the aggressors to the other side of the car park Two kicks, second kick fatal. Laura and Michael have left at this point. They've gone home. They wake up in the morning, they hear oh, there's a fatality in the car park last night. So they take themselves to the police station. They get charged with joint enterprise murder. They're both serving life sentences for Sorry? joint enterprise. Yeah, both Sorry? Them. Both serving life sentences for joint enterprise murder. So Michael Hall was one of these in the Johnson case. So we had, and we thought, well, look, Michael Hall didn't wield a knife. He didn't, he, he didn't know that someone had been killed because that happened six minutes after the fight about the taxi. So the best, at best, a fray, maybe violent disorder about a taxi, but not murder. So Michael Hall was in that. So Lord Thomas put a gagging order on when he was going to deliver that judgment. So all the families were phoning up because we had these appeals. They weren't really appeals. They were just Thomas listening to, you know, the, the, they were sort of cherry-picked 
gang association type ones. But Michael Hall, we really thought, well, he's got a shout, you know. And he came through um, and I phoned up Michael's sister and said, have you got any idea when this judgment's going to be handed down? Because everyone kept phoning me and, and we were getting into sort of October and, and we knew it was happening. And Michael's family had paid direct access to, access to their barrister. So they could phone the barrister up. And the barrister said, oh, yes, it's happening. This was Wednesday. Oh, it's happening on Monday. The judgment's going to be handed out on Monday. I, I, he's left the BBC now, but I've got Clive Coleman in my phone. And I phoned up Clive and said, do you know this judgment for Johnson? Because it was massive. Everybody wanted to know if the Supreme Court decision was going to actually result in what we want, change, you know, freedom for people who haven't done the crime that they're in prison for. So, if the, so just, to, just to keep their listeners um, on the journey, so the brothers, they didn't commit... We're waiting to see if the brothers are going to commit a murder. They did not. They were not. But they they they, no. Yeah, but they did nine cases. R versus Johnson isn't just Johnson. The two brothers. It's known as R versus Johnson, and it made the barrier go higher for appeals because Lord Thomas expected to come out to an empty court. He came out to a court full of red because Jengba's colour is red, full of. journalists the times the telegraph sky everybody was there and he just came out and he thought he was going to come out to nothing because he put a gagging order on it mm. because then the families tried to find out from their solicitors and their solicitors were phoning their barrister and they said no he, he said we can't tell anyone so he wanted to come out you know this is how they keep the truth buried anyway it's the first time when he knocked back i mean one girl turned up with a car didn't she she turned up with a car <laughs> thinking she was going to go and drive her boyfriend home from prison so the, all that was happening was people getting up screaming um the johnson's mum just and her sister just got up screaming and ran out of court crying and and well, then so he gave it what was the judge you know, not no denied 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 in all nine of these cases so it wasn't just including michael hall all nine okay and and that is the first time our families started, and I know exactly who started it as well as Jermaine, no justice, no peace, and started banging their feet. And Thomas got up. We could have been done for contempt of court, and I wish we had have done, actually, because it would have made the stories. Because when we came out and we were trying to tell the press what had happened, Amber Rudd announced that all grieve were not going to get an inquiry. So that knocked us off the press, because that the all grieve inquiry was much bigger. It's all orchestrated. Everything that people think they know about, they know nothing. So, so what I was going to say to you about Gloria and Lisa, so Amber how does it feel taking on or going up against the system? It's something that most people don't feel. Some of our listeners won't even feel in their life. I think because of lockdown and people are complaining about being told what to do by, by, by their police or by the state, how does it feel taking on a system? It's like an iron curtain, an iron wall. You just can't get through it. No matter what we do, they put something else in place so you can't do it mm-hmm. it's like but what, what it's people so violent do, it's yeah. so violent on so many levels like the state yeah but what people don't in. realize is that we're up against the legal establishment which is probably as powerful if not more powerful than it's a very powerful establishment okay so but they're there to serve us those judges are there to serve us not the other way around lord thomas is there to to apply the rule of law and they're not doing it and they know they're not doing it they know and there's supposed to be a separation of powers which you know they're not supposed to be the government are not supposed to interfere that's complete bullshit with joint enterprise it was a way the government bringing in oh let's you know we'll give mandatory sentencing we'll start using joint enterprise we'll lock up i mean the first interview i had with a radio 4 presenter um Years ago now, I just, she couldn't get it. And I said, look, why you got a group of black kids on an estate in West London? Are you going to call them a gang? But you've got some boys 
walking down the road in Oxford and they're not going to be a gang. And this was what this is a highly intelligent woman's response, she said to me, because the white guys aren't all trying to kill one another. That narrative that, that you know, all these black kids are just there trying to kill one. It's just so entrenched in people's. But you middle- see, I think to kind of tie this into kind of like theory, right? So Police in the Crisis by Stuart Hall. Yeah. So he speaks about the I interplay about the interplay between like the media the state and all these people interplay together to create a narrative to generate either consent by coercion or just by consent by, by people who agree ideology, yeah. ideology so it gets people to agree certain things to agree a certain status quo so he speaks particularly about the the, the mugger do you remember at one point that was a big thing right and, it, and it, people were frightened of the mugger and people would behave in a certain way so me growing up in the 80s that was a thing it was a thing. I was considered a mugger. So I walked down the street. To this day, to this day, if I walk past a, a white woman at a certain time, she'll behave funny. Mm. And I would have to cross the road because I feel I'm making her uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Just because of that stereotype, it exists. Which is well, just saying about in police and the crisis, like another thing that they do is they talk about the complicity of all state institutions yeah, in civil society. So the newspapers, the media, the government, the criminal justice system all working together to embed this image mm-hmm. of black boys all trying to kill each other like it's or the black mugger but you see the madness is right and this is where like if you think of like, things like uk drill so for example uk drill these no one's forcing these kids to choose this form of art form or how to behave so the, in the what they call the policies representation why are these kids choosing to be gangsters or saying that they've stabbed someone when they haven't so it reinfor- it kind of reinforces an, an attitude out there that black people are violent, even though these kids are not. It is, it's just but then the at thing. the same time, like I think we spoke about, we spoke earlier with, about Drill Minister, like Simeon Brown did that um, special for Channel mm-hmm. 4, where I think it's Drill Minister does um, yeah, yeah. raps, loads of speeches from the House of Commons. And they talk violently. And they talk yeah. violently mm-hmm. because, as um, Danny Dorland has said on this show before, Britain is one of, most, one of the most violent countries in the world. But that isn't the violence of the working classes. That is the violence of the upper classes, whether mm-hmm. that is globally, locally. Mm-hmm. So the fact that our positions as the violent people, mm-hmm. the working classes are consistently demonised and locked up is, is a disgrace. It is... I'm sorry, I'm just so angry but, at this whole but conversation. You see, it's, but it's, it's also a way of like, so for example, the way that joint enterprise works as well, it's also a way of destroying youth cultures, right? So yes. if you look at youth cultures from rave to jungle, there's always been a kind of a, a government clampdown. So drill is subject to the kind of same laws of, as uh, terrorism. It, it falls under joint enterprise also. So it's a way of stifling this, these kids' creativity and drill music in particular, because it's kind of a DIY kind of thing, these kids don't want to be millionaires, but it's a way of them working. It's a different definition of what work is. So these kids are doing stuff to generate income, to lead their life, to, to do what they need to do. But these things prevent them from being here, from doing those things, from living productive lives. Yeah, because they're commodities. I mean, you think there was, I can't remember which the footballer it is, and it doesn't really matter, but there was a, there was a case of a fight in a pub, and it's a Liverpool footballer. But he was in the fight, and he and that potentially could have been a joint enterprise. That didn't get to court. That didn't get anywhere because that you've got a commodity there that's far too valuable to let them. But you got you got some kid on a on an estate that you're just going to think, well, it doesn't matter. He's going to end up in prison anyway. It's that kind of mentality. But also, there's that there's that case where those um, 
uh, the middle class kids, one of them stabbed one of his friends, yeah. Yeah. but his friend was with him, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it was never mentioned under joint wow. enterprise because it's the same principle. It was like a, a like a drug deal. I think deal they thing. went to Oxford or yeah, something, yeah, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, and um, one of them, they didn't get done for joint yeah, enterprise. Yeah, none of them. No. Joint, mm. One of them, someone stabbed someone. White, they power, were. Yeah, I, think white. The, I think it was Turkish, the fellow that got killed. Yeah. Boom, wasn't that's it? the one. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But really, it, uh, and um, uh, apparently the boy that's done, we do know more about that case because um, we've got the MP involved. But um, I think, I mean, the, the, one of the things that, and Lisa will back me up with this, our campaign is a bit strange in that we are women of a certain age and we, we need to really get a lot more young people behind us to support what we're trying to do because it's them who's affecting it and they'll, they'll affect change. But we've also just been like, please, sir, you know, we've been slightly kind of like, you've got it wrong. We, you know, we're right. There's no doubt about that. We're right. You got the law wrong. You agreed you got the law wrong. But we haven't done anything like direct action. No. These other, and we're still kind of on the fence with that because, you know, you, obviously they make a big splash. But our problem is people don't know about it. They don't know about the problem. That's why podcasts like this is so important because the more people hear about it, and it's not black or white. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's not even conservative or labor. It's not left or right. It's if you were convicted under the wrong law, you should have some kind of remedy to go back and be either retried or have your your charges dismissed because you were a secondary party. And they will not do that because Lord Thomas sat in the Supreme Court decision. He was the he was the one that said the substantial injustice. He was the one thinking because he was getting too many people coming back to the court of appeal. You get convicted of murder, you're going to go back to the court of appeal because you haven't murdered anyone. So he wanted to stop that. So it's all been a constructive kind of like way of keeping people but in prison. But you know the madness is right. So what you said makes sense. If if the law's wrong, we should have recourse to change it and go back, right? But we know from our experience that the law isn't fair so even the principal idea that we can go back and change it if they made a mistake is a mistake because we know from our experience that this is it's a game that's loaded yeah. from the very start because it's it's unequal racialized gendered classed and we understand that but it's it, but it's us trying to confront that illusion that this thing when you say justice justice for whom that's what we're talking about. Justice for whom? Lisa and I took part in the, the war in a Babylon thing at the ICA. Do you want to oh, just yeah. talk about um, Tim Keynes' case? Do you feel confident? Yeah, he's um, a. Um, uh, he's not tall. He's about five foot seven, black man, and he was part of the panel with us. Yeah, we were talking, and uh, he's got done for a joint enterprise as with an unknown. Who? So you didn't know the person. You didn't know them. No, no, because the and the and the the wife of the man that got murdered said he was six foot white fella. Yeah, six foot blonde white. Tim got. I don't know how many years he got. He got 16, life. He's out now. Sixteen. Um, but you got everyone in the audience again, and Stafford Scott was there going, "What do you mean you got charged with murder, even though they they knew the murder had been convicted by a white person?" But that, then they decided it's joint enterprise with an See? unknown. So the person who actually did that murder walked free, and they convicted a black five foot six man because they wanted. They, this is often in murders. They, they, there's a lot of pressure to get somebody for mm-hmm. it. With the, it's the Peter Farhi run the Jordan Cunliffe's uh, trial. He then be, went on to become head of Manchester Police. And when he was head of Manchester Police, Janet went to one of those police and crime commissioners things and said, "Did you know my son was blind?" And he couldn't answer it. Rock and a hard place. What are you going to say? Yes, I knew he was blind, but I put him it's away anyway. It's disgrace. It's disgusting. But, like, it's, but, but, Tim did not know that 
the murder victim or the principal? He knew the murder victim. Yeah, he was okay. He knew the murder victim, uh, but he didn't know the... Because he stopped the fight, didn't he? Mm. Yeah. And when the police called him in, they charged him with murder. But the wife has put things in the paper to say, yeah. I know it wasn't him. Yeah, and he's still fighting. Yeah, and he's yeah, still fighting still. his case today. He's been out a good few years as well. Yeah. And he set up a Jengwa Birmingham hub because um, there's a lot of cases in places like Birmingham, Bradford, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you know the target, the communities. But London's obviously... And North London is particularly bad. The yeah. North London, where Lisa's from, is particularly kind of... there's. So there was a fight. There was, yeah, between his business partner and this other man. man and Tim stopped the fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't know the unknown. The unknown kills the guy. Mm-hmm. He gets off. Tim gets. Yeah, um, no, they never arrested him. They never arrested him at all. So you see, Tim gets joint enterprise with an unknown. But we've got other cases like that. We've got. I mean, when you look at the women's cases, that I always used to say. Have you? That, yeah, I used to say the men's cases are right. Depressing. The children's cases are really tragic because you've got these very vulnerable children that with learning difficulties or with physical difficulties, lots of kids with autism and they're just ignoring. But the women's cases, I kept saying, was balmy. They're just balmy. They're just like these women who have done nothing. So last year, um, Becky Clark and uh, Catherine Chadwick did a study on on our cases, on our women. They interviewed um, over 100 women and evidence pointed to the fact that not one of those women it's not quite right one slapped somebody and the other one used a broom handle but not one of them were instrumental in any form of violence and they're all serving life sentences for murder not one of them one of them is a really simple case like you can imagine this scenario girl is a drug user her partner's a drug dealer she um gets up in the night and he's murdered a a 17-year-old runner that he's got running for him. She screams, is screaming down the corridor. Um, When they're arrested, she goes into witness protection, but she leaves to score drugs and they charge her with murder. So she's serving a life sentence joint enterprise murder, even though they know it was the the drug dealer, you know. Because it's just an easier way of getting convictions if you've got why multiples. Do you wanna, why do why do we want to convict people? Why do we want to put people in prison? Who is it that uh, where she went to the bath? What's her name? Uh, she she went was going to have a bath and she Elizabeth, heard the door. Lizzie, Lizzie Donald, Donald, Donald yeah. She see her husband at the door. No, talk, she heard him because she's in the bath and, and she, she all right muckers and he, this. And then she heard she thought was a car backfire, and when she got out of the bath, went down, says he's dead. He's been shot. She got 30 years. She's what? doing 30 years murder, yeah. I mean, if you were going to kill your husband... What the fuck? Seriously, if you are going to kill your husband, I don't think you'd have a bath. I think you'd try and work out some kind of other way of being... And she's still looking what? at another 15, Lizzie. Do you know, we lovely. laugh. We laugh at cases. And she goes... Because it just... Like what you've just done, yeah, it, you, it's not possible. It's, unbe- it's almost it's not unbelievable. It's possible, but it is. What you're doing is so revolutionary because... It, it's crazy, right? But the system can't say it's wrong. No, it can't say it's wrong. Or it's Be- refusing to say because there's but a whole group of people. It. Yeah, but there, there's a whole group of middle class people who are invested in this, right? Even I'm invested in. We're all invested. So you brought up with a sense, sense that if something goes wrong, I have recourse to mm. the law. Yeah. So there's different institutions: the police, the judges. All these people are supposed to help me. But even though my experience tells me it's not, I still firmly believe in these these abstract concepts. But in real life, it's not that way. Katie, right. So I'm, I, I like doing this. I like the jaw drop moment. I hope you're listening because I'm not making any of this up. I've got proof, right? One of the cases we took after Johnson failed, 
we thought, all right, we'll think clever. We'll take a case back to the Court of Appeal that involved a child with autism who wasn't, or wasn't diagnosed with autism before he went to prison. We got the lead expert in the country, who's Simon Baron Cohen. Ali G's cousin. cousin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Simon Baron Cohen. He's, he's a yeah. world renowned specialist on autism. Can, so. I just say, can I just say one thing? Your, your attention to detail on everything and your, your, <laughs> like the way you remember people's names, like you are, an abs- you are both absolute legends. Simon went in and um, um, assessed uh, Alex Henry. And, and came away and said, yeah, he's autistic, he's got autism. So we thought that's fresh evidence because Alex's case is a very fast moving, spontaneous fight in a shop where Alex has seen his friend being beaten up. Um, he's gone into the shop and thrown his phone down on the floor. Um, he uh, He's with another boy called Cameron who's homeless and has got a knife concealed in a bag. Which uh, Alex didn't know about. Didn't know that he had the knife. He'd only known him for a few and months. Ca- and Cameron's used the knife through the bag and, and there's a fatality. So uh, in that case, three of them go to prison. Janelle, the one who has been beaten up, Alex and um, Cameron. Who, who, Cameron, who admitted to the crime. He, you know, he wasn't going cutthroat, but he admitted to it. So that's kind of, you can't go back to the Court of Appeal just because you don't like the court's decision. If you get found guilty of a murder, you can't just go, oh, well, that's wrong, I'm going to go back. You can only go back if you can bring fresh evidence, anything that wasn't used in the original trial, which in joint, joint enterprise cases is really tricky because there's no evidence to convict you. So how do you get fresh evidence to prove that you didn't do what you didn't do in the first place? Mm-hmm. So we went to um, back with that, but we also conjoined it with an appeal for children who had learning difficulties. So they had learning ages of eight and nine, three children in the Liverpool case. They were 13, 14 and 15, but they had learning ages of between eight and nine. And I think Joseph might have even been seven or eight. They were very, they all had um, quite severe learning difficulties. So. We got the mediator in court. They were tried in adult court. The mediator came to the Court of Appeal, as did Simon Baron Cohen, to Lord Thomas and said, Simon Baron Cohen said, yes, he had autism. People with neural diversity like that would not have been able to foresee what this, what was going to happen in a fast moving 48 second incident. So we're saying no. And with the autistic the mentor said, I kept raising my hand to tag questions. So these highly educated prosecutors will ask children questions that they will answer in the affirmative because they don't want to say, oh, I don't know what you mean. They don't want to seem stupid. So they'll just say yes, you know, or they or they just won't say, I don't understand the question. Mm. It's really unusual for. So there was that, those kind of issues in this one, you know, like we were looking at children anyway. Well, Alex Henry was 19 at the time, but he was now autistic. Lord Thomas dismissed them both on the grounds that the children did have a fair trial. They did, the media is wrong. They did have a fair trial. And Alex Henry, his mother, is now a psychologist. Uh, Sally, she's trained to be a psychologist. So she taught her child how to pretend to be autistic, to pull the wool over the eyes of the, Sorry, <laughs> the lead what? expert in the country. Sorry. That's, Sorry. that's what we're looking at. That's what we're looking so- at. What's his name? The Lord. What's his name? Thomas. He's gone. Lord now. Thomas. Lord Chief Justice Thomas. Chief Justice Thomas said that the mother of Alex taught her son to be neurodiverse in order to get away with yeah. joint enterprise. He's pulling the wall over your eyes. And the top Barra Cohen, yeah. he, he's the top specialist, said that he has got autism. Mm-hmm. And he also said because he's been interviewed. I've, I've met him. I've met him since Simon and. Um, 
We said, why do you think he did it? And he said, that was a policy decision. So that's not based in judgment. That's not based in any judicial kind of law. That is like, if he lets that one person through, Alex Henry, based on the fact that no one had diagnosed autism, then we can go back, that sets precedent, and we can go back with all the other kids that we've got in the system that have got autism or have got learning difficulties. Or got... So that's why he was quashing a lid on that. So you didn't want any other cases to come through. So then the last one we went back with was Laura Mitchell, the girl I told you in the car park, looking for her shoes. She hasn't, didn't even know anyone was murdered. Really thought she had a shout, really thought she had a shout, because it was a referral from the CCRC, for your listeners who don't know what the CCRC is, the Criminal Cases Review Commission, which was set up after the Guildford Six and the Birmingham Four, so that we wouldn't have these miscarriage of justice again. So... The CCRC referral, we're like, wow, this is going to be quite a big deal, you know, Laura Mitchell. So we're in court. Laura's not brought to court, and this was Lady Haylett. And um, Laura's mum's here. Laura's there on a screen. She's crying her eyes out. She's crying her eyes out because we've been to appeal courts enough now. To, you know, you just know she's going to get knocked back. You could hear, hear it from Lady. Lady Haylett uh, started talking about conditional intent. So even though Laura hasn't committed a murder, because she started a fight about a taxi at the beginning, she had conditional intent that someone would then go on to commit a murder. And I started laughing at her. I just looked at it and thought, you just think we're stupid. You really think that you can keep changing the language. After Jogi, they changed it, parasitic accessorial liability, so joint enterprise has gone away. Because if you look up joint enterprise, you're going to get us. So then they tried to turn it to power. And now she's talking about conditional intent. So they conflate all these kind of legal concepts because they don't know what else to do, because they are wrong and we are right. And we will keep doing this and keep embarrassing them. And the only way we're going to win, unless Lisa gets her tits out, which she probably will do, <laughs> the only way we're going to win is, <laughs> is if we humiliate them into a position, because they're not going to do it because it's the right thing to do. They have to do it just because they are absolutely backed into a corner where people, especially the communities that are directly affected by that, and that is, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody... Do you know what? It doesn't necessarily have to be someone who's got someone in prison or someone who's... It has to be any citizen in this country who cares about our criminal justice system and why it's important that we do not send families to prison. We've got a mum and her two sons in prison. We've got brothers in prison. We've got... You know, you talk about North Korea doing this kind of thing. You don't talk about this in the UK. And we do. We do. And and it's a massive embarrassment for them. So they'll keep trying to bury it. They'll keep trying to bury it. Till Lisa gets her tits out, we're, we're buggered. Um, we call ourselves the bitches. Yeah. Don't fuck with the bitches because you've picked on the I wrong bitches. I fucking love that. I absolutely love that. Absolutely yeah. love that. Absolute legends. I think this is this is probably the saddest, most frustrating show we've ever done, but I also think it's the best show we've it's ever done. It's the most revolutionary thing, right? Yeah. Because you're taking on the system. And the system's fucked. You man, guys take on the system. All we're doing is hearing your stories and putting the map wall kit and putting it out there and for coming on the show. Thank you for guys are us. absolute yeah. heroes, legends. Um Pete, everyone, you need to look up Jengba, get in touch, get involved, do what you can to get people to understand and realise this huge, huge mass in miscarriages of justices that are happening on our doorsteps every day. Um, yeah, thank you so thank much you. for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you. Please Welcome. follow us on Twitter and <laughs> follow them, follow them, follow them. And yeah. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Surviving Society with Chantal and Tiso. You can now continue the conversation with us on Twitter and Instagram.
If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination, please support us via Patreon. If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. 